morning. Today's scripture is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 23 through chapter 2, verse 3. And you can follow along in the hymnals on page, on the hymnals, <laughs> in your pew Bibles on page 1201 or 2. There are no page numbers. I'm just going to read. It's good stuff. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear God, we praise you. For this change of seasons, Lord, as we come into the fall, Lord, it is a reminder of how you, you are in control of all things. Lord, you control the seasons, you control every, every aspect of our lives. So God, I pray that we would come before you this morning with the proper humility that you indeed are who we need more than anything, that we would be humbled by that basic reality And that, God, that you might speak to us, that you might work in us, that you might draw us to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was the first, no, wait, 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 let me get this right, not the first, the opposite of the first. I was the very last, the very last person in my entire school class, and, and boys and girls, I was the last boy, I was the, la- I was the last, I was the last of every person in my school class. Uh, not one of the last, but the very last in all of my school to go through puberty. I was the last one, I was one of these incredibly late bloomers. Uh, I was the last one to have my voice changed. I, I would call home from college. Okay, that's probably an exaggeration, but I'd call him in high school, and my dad would think that I was my mom. Uh, I remember in, in, in choir going to this music camp, and I was the only boy in the alto section. And I remember my friends you know, saying, hey, that's great. You get to be with the ladies. You're like, well, not really. They just think I'm like their little brother, right? So, so there I am in the alto section, and then we had this, uh, this barbershop quartet that I was in at this music camp. And uh, the name of our group was Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, three grown adolescent guys in high school, and then there was me. And we would, uh, every day, we would sing for the rest of the camp. And we would sing you know, some sort of barbershop love song, and we would, we would ask a different uh, girl to come down out of, the, out of the audience, and we would sit her on a stool and we would sing to her, and, uh, and then after, right at the end of each song, it just became our routine that, we would, uh, that I would sit up on her lap and give her a kiss. 
And I think that they might have thought that was uh, inappropriate, except for that I just looked like this little boy, so everybody just thought it was really cute. Right? And so the whole time growing up, I couldn't wait to grow up. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't wait to grow up. I, I, again, I got cast in the school play as, as a sophomore. I was the only underclassman to get into the school play. And, and I, the reason why is because they cast me as the 10-year-old bratty kid. So it was typecasting. All the way growing up, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't wait to grow up. And, and I, think that that's how, I think that's how it is for pretty much everybody, that when you're growing up, you can't wait to grow up. You can't, can't wait when you're in middle school to get to high school. When you're in high school, you can't wait to get from high school to college. Right? You can't wait to grow up. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about growing up. And that is that when you are growing up, at least this, this is how it was for me, is that you would face, uh, you would face obstacles and challenges with a certain sense of hope and a certain sense of optimism. And the reason why you could face uh, challenges with hope and optimism is because you'd always say to yourself, well, when I get grown up, then I will be able to do this. Uh, maybe I can't handle this now, but when I get grown up, eventually I will be able to, I will be able to handle this. I'll be able to take care of this. Uh, hey, do you want me to turn this off or... Getting kind of a heavy hum. This one's still on? Okay. That's better. Okay. Um, so when you're, when, you're, when you're growing up, you have this sense that you can get through whatever challenge it is that you're facing. Um, I remember growing up, my, my brother and I grew up in Wyoming, and we loved basketball. And so we would play basketball all the time. We would, we would play out in our driveway. Uh, we had, you know, we took the, installed the, the basketball hoop on the roof of our house, I still remember climbing up on the roof with my brother and us drilling the holes in the roof. And this was pretty momentous for the Hanleys because we're, we're, we're not very mechanical. But somehow we managed to get that. It stayed up there for 20 years. So we did a good job. We didn't fall off the roof trying to do it. It was really a pretty miraculous occasion. But I re- still remember putting that up there. And then once that was up there, we would play basketball all day. We would even play into the night. We got these, these halogen lights that we planted in the, in the lawn that would shine up onto the backboard so that we could play all through the night. And we would invite all the kids over to our house. And we would have two-on-two basketball tournaments in, in, our, in our driveway. And uh, actually, the people who won tended to be the people who could drive to the left uh, because my dad's camper was parked on the right side. And so if you went to the right, you'd run into the camper. So you had to learn how to go to the left. And so we'd have these huge uh, two-on-two tournaments. Now, the problem with basketball in Wyoming is that you can really only do it for maybe one week out of the year. Because the weather's so bad, right? So, so then the rest of the year, we would go inside, and we would play inside. Now, as I got older, that got boring. But as I was younger, that was very exciting because of the greatest invention in the history of toys. You all know what this is. The Nerf basketball hoop. You guys remember this? The Nerf basketball hoop that hangs on the door. It was almost as though the door was invented for the Nerf basketball hoop. And I remember because we had, we, we had two of these hoops, and we would put one on the door to uh, the, the laundry room, and we would put one on the door to my dad's office, and we would play Nerf basketball full court in the basement. Now, one of the things that I knew uh, growing up that was kind of frustrating for me is that my brother, who was older and bigger, still is older and bigger, that he could dunk. 
And I always wanted to dunk. I always like, man, there's, but see, I, I, I approached it with this sense of optimism. I said, there's going to come that time. There's going to come that point when I grow up, when I'm going to be able to dunk. So I never gave up. Right? I, I would try really hard, and, and at first I would jump, and you know, at first I could, you know, I could barely touch the doorknob, to be honest with you. Uh, but I would still try. Uh, but I would jump up, and I, I wouldn't get anywhere close, and I would hit the door, and I would fall to the ground. But then I'd go into the kitchen, and I'd eat some pancakes, and I'd start to grow. I'd start to grow. So then I'd go back downstairs, and I'd go into the basement, I'd get the ball, like, I'm going to get it this time, I'm going to get it, and I'd run, and I'd jump, and, and I'd be a little bit closer, but I'd fall to the ground, and so what would I do? I'd get up, and I'd go into the kitchen, and I'd eat some chicken, and I'd start to grow, I'd get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and so then... I'd go back downstairs, and I'd, and, I, and I'd try, and sometimes, sometimes I would get closer, but then I would, then later on I'd get farther away. It was almost like I was going back. You guys know how this is sometimes. You're trying to accomplish something, and, and it seems like it's getting better, but then you go through seasons when it just gets worse, and so sometimes I wouldn't get as close as I was before, but I knew, I knew that, you know what, eventually I'm going to get this because I'm not all grown up, that I'm, I'm still, I'm still growing, and so... So, you know, year after year, I would get closer and closer and closer, and then finally, finally the day came when I actually was able to dunk a Nerf basketball hoop. And it was really exciting because uh, I had a bunch of my friends with me, and they were all there kind of cheering me on, and we actually got a recording of it. If we can turn the lights down, I'm actually going to show you a video of the first time that I dunked a Nerf basketball. We get the lights down. And if we can now, uh, you get to see this. This is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was just the other day. I just, I finally was able to dunk a basketball. Right, when you're growing up, you can't wait to grow up. You can't wait to grow up because you know that there are things, there are obstacles that you are going to be able to overcome, that you can't overcome right now because you're not grown up. And so you approach everything with this sense of hope and this sense of optimism. Now here's the problem. The problem is that when we become adults, we think we are all grown up. When we become adults... We think we are all grown up. And so we sort of lose this sense of hope and this sense of optimism with regards to challenges and difficulties that we face. And I think what we discover as we come to this passage today, what it communicates to us is that grown-ups are not all grown up. Now, of course, in one sense, we are. Physically, you get grown up, you're grown up. I will never be five foot eight. I have maxed out. At five foot seven, I am done. I, you know, later on, osteoporosis kicks in. Uh, maybe I'll be down to five six, five five. I don't know. But but five seven, that's it. I've maxed out. I will never be able to dunk on a legitimate basketball hoop. I mean, I'm pretty good on a Nerf hoop. You've seen, you've seen my moves. But I will never actually be able to dunk on a real basketball hoop. So, so physically, you do grow up. But I think what this is showing us is that spiritually, we never completely grow up. That spiritually, grown-ups are not grown-up. That's what we find as we come to this passage here in 1 Peter. And I want to just focus in on one verse, verse 2. 
It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Think about this imagery that Peter is using here. He's saying that we ought to approach uh, our, our spiritual reality as if we are like newborn babies. Think about that. He's saying approach it as if you're a newborn baby. And, and, and here's the thing about a newborn baby, right? They crave spiritual milk. They're just, or they, well, they crave milk, but because they have so much room to grow. When you're a newborn baby, you have so much room to grow. In fact, when you're a newborn baby, that's the only thing on your agenda is growing. Right? I, we, we've had the privilege in the last couple of years of having two newborn babies. Our, 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 our second one is now finally coming out of that newborn phase. But basically for the last year, Caleb has had one thing on his agenda, and that's growing. Right? Most of us, we have other things going on. You know, you've got... As you look at your calendar, you've got uh, you know doctor's appointment. You got to go to the grocery store. You got to go uh, go wash the car. Uh, you've got meetings at work. You got all these things on your agenda. But Caleb has had one thing on his agenda for the past year, and that's growing. Everything that he did, sleeping, eating, just sitting there, it was all with one goal, and that was growing because. As a newborn, he knew he had so much room to grow. And this is what Peter's saying. He's saying that we ought to approach our spiritual reality in the same sense that that there is so much room to grow. And in fact, we ought to pursue God in the same way that a newborn pursues his mother, right? In other words, we should keep God up all night. Right? You think about that. A newborn just, you know, my, my wife has gone for the last couple of years without sleep because We've always had a newborn keeping her up at night. And what, and what this is communicating to us is that we ought to seek after God like a newborn coming after him saying, God, you know, I'm going to keep you up all night. I'm going to keep pursuing you because I have so much room to grow. See, grown-ups are not all grown up. I, I would actually say that, that one of the signs of spiritual maturity is actually one of the foundational signs of, of spiritual maturity is recognizing your own immaturity. That's actually a sign of maturity, is recognizing your own, uh, your own immaturity. Jesus says something along the same lines when he's talking to the religious leaders, and he says to them, he says, it is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's saying, look, I, I haven't come for those who think they're already there. I haven't come for those who, who think that they have this this, uh, this maturity that over, over other people. No, he's saying, I have come for those who recognize their own immaturity and their own need to grow. The truth is that as, as I look um, at, uh, at the future of this church, and as we look to build leaders in this church, uh, probably the number one thing that I look for in, in a leader is this humility that says, I, I don't have it all figured out. Right? That, that I'm still growing. I have a long ways to go. That sort of teachable spirit that says, yeah, the, 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 the more I pursue God, the more I realize how much room I have to grow. The grown-ups are not all grown up. And, and I, think that this is, I think this is something that is, is sort of counterintuitive to some of us with regards to the idea of salvation. Listen to what it's saying here. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I think that catches some of us off guard because some of us, I think, have come to 
to understand or come to believe that, that salvation is something instant. Right? You, 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 that salvation comes when you profess faith in Christ. The salvation, it's an instant thing that happens in the past and then that's it. That's salvation. But actually, that's, that's a very restricted understanding of salvation. That Biblically, it's much fuller than that. That actually, biblically, the concept of salvation is not simply a matter of, of when you profess faith in Christ. Salvation is actually the process by which you become more and more like Christ. Salvation is that, is that entire process. And this entire process of salvation uh, it encompasses three dimensions. Three dimensions, the past, the present, and the future. You can understand salvation in terms of these three dimensions, past, present, and future. And the kind of biblical theological language that is used for each of these three things is justification, sanctification, and glorification. The first is, is, is justification, and that really is talking about what happens in the past when you profess faith in Christ. And actually, one of the things that we discover as we go through the Bible is that the word salvation is used in all three of these different contexts. That sometimes the word salvation is talking about the past, justification. Sometimes it's talking about the present, sanctification. And sometimes it's talking about the future, glorification. Let me just show you, for example. If you want to turn, you can, to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, we were actually looking at this just a couple of weeks ago. But here in Ephesians chapter 2, we find... Uh, Paul using the word salvation, and it's very much used in reference to the past. Uh, this is used actually in two places. Ephesians 2, 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Uh, no, excuse me, verse 5. Uh, it is by grace you have been saved. There's that word for salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved. And there's the idea of being saved in the past. And, and this is talking about being justified before God. That being right before God, and this gets to the very heart of, of what Christ did on the cross, that, that, that when we profess faith in Him, He forgives us of our sin, and we become right with Him. That this language of being seated at the right hand, or seated with Christ, is, is the language of justification, saying that you are, you are right in, in, in the place of God. That irrespective of what you have done, no matter what path you have been down, that when you profess faith in Christ, He forgives you of all of that, and says you are right, you are justified before, before God. So that's the salvation being used in terms of justification. But then we also find this word salvation being used to talk about sanctification. You can find this uh, if you look at Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Go eat potato chips, those of you who are flipping through there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go eat potato chips. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a verse that that I think uh, some people kind of get confused by. What's this whole idea of working out my salvation? I thought salvation was, was simply something that was given to me in the past. It's given to me as a gift. Well, here is the point. In this context, he's using it to refer to this concept of sanctification. Uh, for those of you kind of who like historical theology and whatnot, uh, Martin Luther never said that salvation was by faith alone. Sometimes we think that. Martin Luther said salvation is by faith alone. No, he said justification is by faith alone. 
that that particular aspect of salvation that we are made right on the basis of our faith, but, but sanctification and the entire process of salvation involves a working out, that it's, it's something that you can work in, that you can, that you can grow in. And then uh, one more verse, this is in Romans, and this talks about glorification. This is future, future dimension of salvation. This is in Romans 13. You don't need to flip here. Um, I'll just read it for you if I marked it here. Yeah, here it is. Romans 13, 11. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now it's saying that salvation is something that hasn't even come yet. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And here it's talking about glorification, this final day when God will come and he will renew and restore all things. So we we see these three dimensions, but the most important thing for us to see is that this idea of salvation is something that you can grow in. It's something that you can grow in. And and, and what what I I hope that that this gets through to, to each one of us is this simple reality. And that is that you no longer need to keep saying to yourself, that's just who I am. That's just who I am. Right? I think some of us, we approach certain things in our lives, certain ways in which we are, and we have sort of this defeatist attitude. And we say, well, that's, that's, just, that's just how I am. Right? Maybe you're here today, and, and for you, you are a person who is often consumed with fear and anxiety. Maybe you're the kind of person where uh, you get anxious over the fact that you're anxious, you ever been that? You're just worried about why you're so worried. You just, worry and anxiety is something that's just a part of it. And it's easy to say, well, that's just who I am. Sort of this defeated uh, situation. And, and, and this is the point here, that you're, spiritually, you're not all grown up. This is not like being physical. Yeah, you're 5'7", that's how it is. But spiritually, it's like, no, there, there's still room for you to grow. That, that you don't just say, that's, that's who I am. When I, when I was, you know, two feet tall and I wanted to learn how to, to dunk a basketball I didn't just say, well, I guess I can't. That's just who I am. I knew that I still had room to grow. And so if if fear and anxiety is something that you struggle with, the message that comes from this is, hey, you don't have to say, that's just who I am. That as we pursue God, that we can begin to grow in that. It's not something that will happen perfectly in this life, but it's something that we can can grow in. If if you're here today and, and anger is something that you struggle with, and you've kind of just gotten to that point where you're like, well, that's just who I am. You know, I'm Irish or something like that. Right? That's, that's, just, that's just who I am. And, and, and so you, you kind of say that in sort of a defeated, a de- defeated perspective. Like, well, I've tried this, and, and, but I, I can't do anything about it. That's just who I am. The, the message here of salvation and growing in salvation is that that's not just who you are. That as we pursue God, as we pursue Him, as we seek Him, as we keep Him up at night pursuing him, that we can actually begin to see God, see God working in us and bringing change. There's a, a, a passage in the book, The Great Divorce, and I've, I've shared this illustration before because I think it's really powerful. And in, in, the, in The Great Divorce, it's this fictional story, and, and C.S. Lewis paints a picture of heaven. And these people are on a tour visiting heaven. And this one guy, and I might get the details wrong, I haven't, I haven't read this in a while, but there's this one guy who's kind of touring through heaven, and he's, he's got this red lizard on his back, kind of over his shoulder, 
And, and this lizard just keeps yapping in his ear, just, and, and he just keeps trying to get it to be quiet. Oh, just stop. Just, oh, stop it. Stop. Be quiet. And, and you can tell that this lizard has just been nagging at him and has been annoying him for years. And he's just walking through, trying to experience heaven, but this thing just keeps yapping at him. And this angel comes down out of the, out of the hills. Uh, and this angel comes up and says, would you like me to silence the lizard? And the man says, oh, yes, that would be fantastic if you would silence the lizard. And the angel says to him, okay, um, I can silence the lizard, but in order to do it, I'm going to have to kill the lizard. And the man says, oh, I don't know about that. I, I, don't, I don't know. That, that, no, that would hurt. Like, that's really going to be painful. Like, if you, if you, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And the angel's like, no, you're right. It is going to hurt. It is going to be painful. The guy's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And then finally he just says, okay, do it. Like he's, just, he's had it. Finally he's like, okay, just do it. And so the angel, I can't even remember what he does, strangles him or shoots lightning at him. I don't really remember. But the, the lizard flings off, and, and the man falls to the ground screaming in pain. So both him and the lizard fall to the ground screaming in, in, in pain. And, and, and it looks like the guy is, is dying, but then something changes. And his whole body changes, his whole appearance changes, and he goes from being sort of a shabby-looking man, he turns into this prince. He pulls up, he's much bigger, much taller, much stronger, and, and then the lizard that you thought was dead, all of a sudden something happens to it, and it starts to change, and it starts to grow into this beautiful stallion. And the prince climbs up on the stallion and rides off into heaven. Is that not a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with each of us? Is that not a beautiful picture of what it means to grow in salvation? That this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for us to experience in part now. That we can begin to experience this kind of freedom from the very things in our life that hinder us. Grown-ups are not all grown up. And, and, and this is uh, one of the reasons why I chose to preach this message today. I've sort of deviated from our series on the book of Ephesians, which we'll come back to next week. One of the reasons why I picked this is because we're relaunching our community groups. This week and next week, uh, we're we're relaunching our community groups. And and really, the entire focus and purpose of these groups is to help us to grow up in our salvation. The the three objectives that we have for our community groups, uh, uh, the first one is to grow in our relationship with God and with one another. The second one is that we should raise up... uh, raise up disciples who are being transformed into salt and light. And this idea of transformation, just another word for growth, that we would begin to grow into the people that God has called us to be, to be a light in this world. And then the third purpose is to raise up leaders in the church. And you can see that, that this whole idea of the community groups just centers around growth. And the, the curriculum that we're going to be going through, those of you who are in phase two, is actually called gospel growth. And you, you might actually say that the first book, those of you who went through the first book, which was called Gospel Identity, really looked primarily at the issue of justification, the idea of being right before God. What, what is my identity before Him? And so we spent 10 weeks just trying to unpack what does that look like. Now we're moving in, you might say, to the whole concept of sanctification. What does it look like to live out of that reality, and how does that begin to change uh, the way in which I live and and the way I can overcome some of these things about myself 
that, that hinder me in my life. And so that's really what these, these community groups are all about. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who are in those groups, to, to go into it with that expectation that God is going to change you. To be open to that. Like, like the man with the lizard, are you open to letting God work on you, even though it could be painful at times? But that ultimately it's really going to change you and into the person that God is desiring for you to be. So the question I, I want to just leave us with is this. Do we want to grow? Do we want to grow? Are, are we just going to kind of settle with, with where we are and just kind of be with that because we're kind of scared of, of what it might look like if we go in some other direction? Are we willing to grow? Because what this passage shows up us is that grown-ups are not all grown up. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you for the gift of salvation, the gift of healing, God, we thank you that you are a God who cares so deeply about us. You are a God who forgives us, Lord, of the, of the things in our heart, the things that we've done, Lord, if we would just humble ourselves and acknowledge that, Lord, that we would be broken before you, that we would experience the life that comes from your grace. God, I pray that you would instill in each one of us a desire to change, a desire to pursue you a desire to be vulnerable before you and before others that we, might, that we might really be transformed by your grace. God, we ask that your spirit would come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We now come to our time of response. There are a number of ways in which you can respond. You can respond just by sitting there and praying. Maybe you want to come before the Lord and just confess something in your life, maybe you want to come before the Lord and thank Him, uh, be gracious, uh, or thank Him for His graciousness uh, in your life. Uh, you can respond if you have a prayer request, please fill out on the side of your bulletin. You can tear that off and put it in the plate, and you can respond with your tithes and your offerings. Uh, if you are new, if you're visiting, please do not feel compelled to give, but if you are a member or a regular attender, we would encourage you to give um, as an act of gratitude for what God is doing in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be used by you and for even our finances to be used to extend your kingdom in this world. God, we pray that through this we would be able to bring transformation into the lives of individuals and the lives of families, uh, Lord, who are hurting. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.